to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one by, who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Your water, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Our New Testament reading is from Mark chapter 6, verses 32 to 44. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year, year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. 
He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment, and in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask that you would do for us the thing that only you can do. And that is by the power of your spirit to shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, to shine light on the places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown. Lord, to shine light on the words that I've prepared. And Lord, would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls. And tonight, to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So there are um, three words um, in the English language that were particularly precious to me when I was a child. Three words in the English language that were particularly precious to me as a child. And they were particularly precious to me as a child whenever they came out of my grandmother's mouth. Three words in the English language that as a child were precious to me, specifically when they came out of my grandmother's mouth. Here are the three words, and I wonder if you can connect or relate to this. Three words. Honey, comma, because she's addressing me. Honey, theirs, which I guess is technically two English words, but we're not English professors here. At least not all of us are. Honey, there's plenty. Honey, there's plenty. And when I heard those words from my grandmother, all of a sudden, I felt free. Free to receive. Free to enjoy. Free to receive and to enjoy You might say abundantly. Now, these three words that came up from my grandmother's mouth, honey, there's plenty, I think offer a good summary of what the psalmist David wants us to hear in Psalm 65. There's plenty. There's plenty. This is a psalm that celebrates, that thanks, that praises God directly. Not all the psalms do this. Some of the psalms talk about God for the sake of each other, the congregation. But a few psalms speak to the Lord very directly, and this is one of them. It praises, it celebrates, it thanks God directly for his abundant, just abundant generosity. So we're going to take a look at this together And the main thing that I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, I don't want you to miss this one thing. This is what the sermon is about. The sermon is about the fact, the truth, that with our Lord, there's plenty. He has, to put it another way, lavished his grace upon us as his people. There's plenty 
There's abundant provision. And you and I, by the way, know this even more plainly than the psalmist David did. Because in Christ, we see the plenty, the abundant generosity of God on display in its fullness. So there's plenty. I'm not sure what you came in here this afternoon needing really deeply, but the truth is in our Lord, there's enough. There's plenty. This psalm really has three sections, and we're going to make our way through its three movements. And along the way, I'm going to use as a help um, a confession from 1561. It's called the Belgic Confession. If you're into 16th century confessions, particularly from the Reformed tradition, like I am, you'll know the Belgic Confession. It's a beautiful pastoral explanation of the Christian faith. I'm going to use it as a help as we go. Um, in the Belgic Confession, uh, the, the, the statement, the confession of faith mentions that when you look at God's natural world, you're looking at a beautiful book. And when you look at all creatures, great and small, they're, they're letters. They're letters writing to you to notice the invisible things of God. See, this psalm is going to talk to us about the natural world as a way to get us to notice some things about God. So I'm going to mention it as we go. So here is the first part of the psalm. It's verses 1 through 4. The first thing the psalmist wants us to know is that in God's abundant generosity, the first thing he wants us to see is in God's abundant generosity, first and foremost, most primarily, the Lord abundantly gives to us himself. That's the first movement of this psalm. Would you take a look with me at verses 1, 2, and 3? Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. Again, the psalmist is speaking directly to the Lord. He's saying, praise is due to you. And as we continue to see why, psalmist, why, David, why is praise due to the Lord? We're told in verse 3, when iniquities prevailed against me, you atone for our transgressions. The first thing that God does in generously giving us himself, the first thing that he does is he gives to you and me forgiveness of sins. See, forgiveness of sins in the Bible is first and foremost a relational exchange. God wants to be dwelling with his people. He wants to be one with his people. He wants to be in deep relationship with his people. So what he must do to achieve that is he must be a God of grace and mercy who forgives sins. And David the psalmist begins by just celebrating the fact that God gives us himself by giving us the forgiveness of sins. Verse 4, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. 
what the psalmist David is saying here to us is that the greatest gift of all is the gift of God himself. He is the reward. Psalmist David is saying, blessed is the one who you bring near to dwell in your courts. See, according to the scriptures, everything, everything in this world is a sign that is intended to point you to enjoying God. Everything, the best bite of food, the best hike across a mountain, the best day on the beach, and so on and so forth. Every single thing in this universe is, is beckoning you to enjoy God. But it's just that you and I have that exactly in reverse. We look to enjoy other things, career, relationships, food, or drink. We want to enjoy those things, and we want to try to use God to help us get that. But according to David, our psalmist, the Lord in his presence is the gift. He's everything. Just the fact that he graciously brings his people into his courts to worship him. David can't get over that. He thinks it's so special. What David imagines in this psalm is that you and I would come in here, even on a hot Sunday afternoon, and think, we're here. We're here together. We're, we're in God's house, like people sung. We were sitting here with each other. We're hearing his word, like this is the reward. See, we tend to think everything else is the reward. The courts, the temple, being in God's presence is the reward. Now, a really penetrating question is the question, if you could have whatever that thing is that you desire, but you could have it without God's presence, would you take the deal? In all of the Bible... He's trying to convince you to answer that question with just a huge no. Because God's presence is the reward. And of course, this part of God's generosity is made most plain in the person and work of Jesus. It is Jesus who goes to the cross for the forgiveness of sins so that he and you and me and the Father could be one, so we could have union with him. The first move of this psalm about God's abundant generosity is that our God gives us the gift of himself. But that's not all. Movement number two, verses five to eight. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the furthest seas. The one who by his strength established mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. See, the psalmist David is using a theology of creation, a theology of the natural world, to tell us that God's second great gift 
is that he abundantly gives to us his peace. The first thing is God gives us himself. The second thing is that God gives us his peace. See, this this language of God having strength that is established on the mountains, God's power that's girded and he's girded with might, the fact that he is the one who can still the roaring of the seas. David is telling us God rules this world. And because our God rules the world and we see it plainly in creation, you can have peace. I told you guys about these personality tests that they make pastors take. They're a little probably overrated, but they can be helpful. Not only do you get to learn about your own personality, but you get to learn about people in your church's personality. And apparently, there's a particular personality who, when they walk in a room, they instinctively are looking for who's in control here. Who's in charge here? And am I secure? And am I safe? And can I have peace in this situation? And they'll look for the person who's in control, and they immediately size up if that person's competent or not. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, but your quick looks to the side and side smiles tell me you know what I mean. And if that's your particular personality you would have fit really well in the ancient world. See, the modern world is mostly about seeing the world in terms of freedom or restraint. Something is good if it offers freedom, and it's bad if it constrains or restrains freedom. But see, in the ancient world, things were understood more in terms of chaos and disorder. Something was good to the degree that it brought order. Something's bad to the degree that it brings chaos. And what the psalmist is telling you and I here, he's saying, look at the natural world. It is our God who tamed the chaos. I mentioned this last week, but in the ancient world, whoever commands the seas commands the world. The seas are understood in the ancient world to be the most scary place. The seas are still scary today. What Psalmist David is saying is that the Lord gives us his peace because he is the one who can take what's chaotic and can bring from it joy. Look at verse 8. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. David is imagining the sun rising in the morning, and it's just beautiful. It's peaceful. And no matter what kind of chaotic things happens throughout the course of the day, the sun sets again, and it's beautiful. It's peaceful because our God rules over the world, and you can have peace. Of course, this idea that the Lord gives to us his peace comes most especially true in the person and work of Jesus. See, this is why Jesus, when he speaks to the storm and it obeys him, that's why everyone freaks out in that moment. Because only the Lord can do that. 
And that's why the disciples say, who is this man that even the waves and the winds obeyed him? In the end of all things, when Christ returns, we get an interesting line in the book of Revelation, and it simply says, and the sea was no more. It's not that God doesn't enjoy the ocean. It's a poetic, symbolic way of saying that everything will be at rest and at perfect peace. Our God is abundantly generous because he gives to us himself and he gives to us his peace. But there's more. Here's the third movement of this psalm. The Lord also, he gives himself, he gives his peace, but he also just gives abundant provision. Look at verses 9 through 13. I'm going to repeat some of the words in English that are related to one another. Um, But just know, like, like in the psalm here, there's lots of things in this poem that's shouting out this repetition to help us get the idea. The river of God is full of water. Your water, it furrows abundantly. You, you soften with showers. In other words, lots of water. You bless its growth. Blessing has to do with abundance. You crown the year with bounty. This is my favorite image. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. This picture here is of the Israelite who would have enjoyed the provision of God, say, in the harvest, and loaded up their cart. Loaded up their cart with, with, with lambs and, and with grains and with fruits and vegetables in order to go on a pilgrimage to the temple. And as the cart is clickety-clacketing down the road, just God's abundant provision is almost falling off of the cart. It's so overflowing. It literally has to do with even like the fat and the grease of the animals just, just dripping out with abundance. That's a, that's a pleasant image, by the way, not a gross one. I'll tell you how I experienced this. It, it happened to me Last week, um, bedtime routine, um, I go into the kitchen and I make a glass of water for my wife, Mandy. And I promise you, I go in that dark kitchen, I open the refrigerator, a light comes on, it's cold in there, and it is filled with food. It's full of it. And when I, when I, there's a thing down below, I'm not kidding, and, and you pull it out, and it's a drawer that's colder even still. And you can't even shut it because it's packed with God's generous provision. And I don't know that I would have even thought about it had I not had to preach from this psalm. To the left, there's a place to cook all of that. To the left of that, there's a door. It looks like a closet. 
And it's just got shelves and that are full of food. All this is happening at about 73 degrees because that's how comfortable it all is. In other words, God's abundant provision. There's plenty of it. And the scriptures would even teach us that because it just sits in front of us all the time, we're in danger of missing it. And our souls are in a particular spiritual danger because of the comfort of it. But there's another way. And it's the way of Psalm 65 to just simply say, praise is due to you, Lord. Now, of course, this truth about Jesus's or the Lord's abundant provision comes most true is most fully on display in the person and work of Jesus. You heard Rachel read it. When Jesus is able to work with material things, like, like a little bit of bread and a, and a little bit of fish, and, and as the Lord of creation breaks and blesses that and begins to just dole it out generously, the whole point is here's the Lord at his leisure dealing out generously. So much so that 5,000 men at least were able to eat and be satisfied, meaning they didn't want to eat anymore because they were full. And after that, there's 12 baskets full of provision. See, the gospel writer Mark wants you to hear that story and think about places like Psalm 65. That the abundant provision of God is most especially true in the person and work of Jesus. So the Lord gives abundantly the gift of himself. He gives to us his peace, and he gives us abundant provision. It's a beautiful psalm. So what? I want to take the last few minutes here and just speak to your heart. What do you do with that? What do you do with the bounty of God in front of you all the time? What do you do with it? Well, first, I think you just follow the psalmist. You praise God for it. You give thanks to him for it. Your praise, praise to him, thanksgiving to him, is kind of always on your lips. There's a man in Haiti that I've told you about. His name's Pastor Henry. Our son Henry is named in part for him. And our son Henry is named in part for him for this very thing I'm about to tell you. Pastor Henry, I've told you this before, but the phrase, praise God, is like a filler word for him. You know how, like, when I talk, I say like, um, kind of. I really try not to say a lot of that. <laughs> Pastor Henry, he just starts talking. Yeah, so we're going to put a new room there for the, praise God, and we're going to make sure that we go to port and get some provision, praise God, and praise God, and praise God, and praise God. Later this afternoon, just praise God, praise God, praise God. It's just on his lips all the time. Second thing, what do you do with this abundant, bountiful provision from God in front of you all the time? Live a life of praise. Second thing, this is the foundation of the Bible's call to be generous to others. There's nothing in your house, in your refrigerator, in your calendar, in your time that's yours. 
third thing. A third thing is I think this psalm is an invitation to trust him. So you and I live with the bountiful provision of God in front of us all the time. But if you're like me, you believe the lie of scarcity, that you don't have enough, that he won't give enough, that if you go to him for it, he'll probably run out of it. Or maybe you can just go to him at the beginning of the month and just do your own thing the rest of the month. I don't know how to explain it, y'all. And I think that's why my grandmother's words were always so freeing to me. Because I just, I just live under this idea that there's not going to be quite enough. It, it makes it... It's hard to live under that. And, and the original trick of the devil, let me remind you, was to take that lie of scarcity and to aim it at God's character, actually. There's a good thing that you want and need, and God is keeping it from you. It's the original lie of the devil. According to Psalm 65, he is not doing that. He's not doing that. But of course, therefore, it becomes an invitation to trust him. Because I know that in this room, there are longings that are unmet. And I know that in this room, there are needs that it, it doesn't quite seem like provision is being made for. feel it in my heart. I know you feel it in yours. And therefore, this psalm is an invitation to trust him. This confession of faith from 1561 addresses this in a beautiful way. It talks about how all of creation is a sign trying to train us to trust God. But as persons, we will have a tendency to ask questions about, well, if God provides everything you need, why not this? Why don't I have this yet? And this sweet confession of faith from the 1500s simply reminds us not to have, quote, undue curiosity about the things that God has not showed us. In other words, we're not sure why God seems to withhold we're not sure why God provides that person that thing and this person not that thing. We're not supposed to be unduly curious about that. In other words, there's this idea that even if you can't trace God's hands exactly, you can trust his heart always. You might say, Joel, that's easy for you to say. It's really not easy for me to say. But as we trust him, 
his spirit works in this thing, this thing in us called contentment. And contentment's about the most precious thing that God gives us on this earth. And contentment puts us in a posture of reception where we can now receive the gifts God is giving us. And when we are in a posture of reception, so much of the Christian life is about learning the skills of knowing how to receive. When we begin to receive what he does give us, that leads to a thing the Bible calls joy. So praise on our lips, generosity to others, an invitation to trust him, and finally, the final invitation is that it would be an invitation to patience. Psalms are just full of imagery of needing to wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord because the fullness of the things we're longing for the fullness of what we're longing for, we will have one day in the person of Jesus when we actually behold and see his face. Every longing of your heart will eventually, in time, be satisfied there fully. But for now, we wait. And the Christian life is a waiting life. But that hope we have in Jesus' full and final provision then has a way of working its way backwards to give us sure and steady joy today. Because our Lord has lavishly given us his grace. He's lavishly given us himself. He lavishly gives us his peace. He lavishly provides for our needs. Last thing that I'll say. I talked about my grandmother at the beginning Talking about my grandfather here at the end. Um, we recently got to spend some time with my granddaddy, is what we call him. He's probably at the sunset of his life in many ways. And I didn't have any words to describe that visit with him other than he just seemed so satisfied. Because the Lord in time has a way. He has a way of bringing our hearts to joy, not just then sometime, but here and now. All of this because our God is abundantly generous. Let's pray together.